start reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 in your pew Bible. I think it's page 811. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defence to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us, because whoever ploughs and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights and I'm not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. For I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, although I am not free from God's law but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Um, so last holidays, uh, I went to Halls Gap in the Grampians with my wife Corinne and our three um, preschool aged children. In the weeks leading up, I was determined that we'd get to the pinnacle. Uh, it was like my own personal Everest, and I'm sure that is a fair comparison. 
As we started off, we saw this sign. Um, you're probably reading this much like our Corinne did. Cliff edges, slippery rocks, children at risk. But to my mind, this sign was throwing down a challenge, a challenge that I accepted. So we pressed on further and we started down a fork, which I knew would eventually lead us towards um, this part of the hike. Uh, the father of a family with older kids suggested a detour path might be more suitable, but I knew the other path wasn't anywhere near as interesting. I mean, just look at this. They don't call this part the Grand Canyon for nothing. As we pressed on, we got a bit of drizzle, um, but that was all right. We were prepared with wet weather gear. Leah, our two-year-old, she was getting a little bit tired, but I was happy to carry her. We kept on going, but then the rain and the wind picked up, and I started realising that I wasn't built for carrying two children at paths like this. Got to the top of this section, oops, sorry, paths like this. Um, we got to the top of this section, and even I realised that it wasn't worth pushing on to the exposed section further on to get to the pinnacle. Baby Peter, who had been asleep, was now awake and crying, and everyone else was cold and tired. Uh, we scurried back down to the car, and I apologised every step of the way down. My mistake was building up this thing in my mind like I had a right to get to the pinnacle, disregarding advice from others and ignoring the weather forecast. But I mean, we're right there in the Grampians. And what do you do when you're in the Grampians? You climb the pinnacle. The idea of missing out felt like I'd be giving up on a right. And for a while there, I wasn't willing to do that. It wasn't a right, of course, and even if it was somehow a right that everyone who goes to Grampians gets to climb the pinnacle, it wasn't a right worth claiming especially not if the kids got frostbite. As we look at today, Paul didn't think anything like this. He did actually have certain rights as an apostle, um, but he chose to give up his rights because his desire, more than anything else, was to see the gospel, the message about Jesus, spread among the Corinthians. We start by seeing that Paul has a real role as an apostle. Um, look with me at verse 1. He says there, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Now, an apostle is someone who has met Jesus and who has been chosen to teach. Paul's conversion story is remarkable. I mean, think about this. His mission before his conversion was he went and he tried to put an end to Christianity. He killed many Christians um, in this process. And yet, while he was on his way to another town to do more of this work, Jesus literally stopped him in his tracks and turned his life around. Um, imagine being a Christian at this time. You know about Paul, you know about what he's done, and then you see him devote his life um, to being Christian himself. It'd be pretty convincing evidence that he must have met with Jesus. Paul also appeals to the Corinthian church itself. He's, when he says, Are you not the result of my work? Uh, sorry, yeah, are you not the result of my work in the Lord? It's like he's saying, The fact that you exist as a church shows that Christ has used me to work in your lives. For those of us here who are Christians, we can probably pick out an individual or a group of people who were key in bringing us to faith. They hold a special place in our hearts because their words and their conduct helped lead us to Christ. Now, Paul finishes establishing himself as an apostle um, quite plainly in verse 2. He says, Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Now, Paul knows that the Corinthians would have seen changes in their own lives from the process of being a Christ, becoming Christians. And these changes would point to the reality that Paul has been chosen and he is working in their lives. So Paul really is an apostle, and as an apostle, he has real rights to certain material provisions. If we have a look at um, verses 4 and 5, we see he says, 
don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Now, the rights of an apostle should obviously cover things that are basic like food and drink, but they would also extend, you can see here, that if an apostle had a wife, then they could expect that she'd be looked after as well. Now, Paul's rights aren't an add-on. They are a basic expectation from the work that he does. Notice in verse 7 the examples that he uses. He says there, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Now, the point that Paul's trying to make here is that there are certain rights and rewards that stem logically from the work that you do. Um, We don't expect a soldier to pay their own way. I mean, it's a hard enough job. Like, who would want to do it if they had to pay their own way as well? And no one would begrudge someone working in a vineyard eating grapes. Um, Today, it's not unusual if you need to do a lot of driving for work that your work would provide you with a work vehicle. Paul also points out in verses 9 and 10 that it's not just common sense that certain rights should follow from work, um, but it's also established in Old Testament law. And then in verse 11, Paul finishes by stating quite simply... If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? Now, if Paul can expect to see spiritual benefits from the spiritual work that he does, well, how much more can he expect to see material benefits, which are, after all, far less important? Now, Paul has spent a fair bit of time in that passage talking about the rights that he has as an apostle. If you didn't read on, you might conclude that he's you know, almost trying to guilt them into coming good with what they owe him. Here's my BSB and account number. You know what you need to do. But he isn't doing this. He's responding uh, to their unwillingness to give up their right to food that's been offered to idols, and they're disregarding weak Christians, um, and we saw this last week. This brings us to our second point, rights relinquished. Now, um, some of them think that they have the right to eat food that's been offered to idols because, well, an idol's just nothing at all, so then, you know, what's wrong with eating the food? The problem with this is that they're causing the faith of some of the weaker Christians to stumble. Um, Paul's reminding of the Corinthians of his rights as an apostle to kind of say to them, well, look at the sacrifices I'm willing to make to see the message of Jesus spread. Follow my example as I follow Jesus' example. Note what he says in verse 12. He says there, (coughs) If others have this right of support from you, Shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Now, Paul's purpose for giving up his rights is to see the gospel message of Jesus advance. Now, today, missionaries are a great example of people who give up their rights for the gospel. Felicity and Jeremy were a a Christian couple who lived down the road from me a few years ago. They gave up a comfortable living, um, working as medical professionals in a first world country, And instead, um, they went to a remote part of South Sudan with their two young boys. They lived in over 35-degree heat with minimal facilities as a cultural minority there. Um, They missed out on direct family support, being so far away, um, living in one of the most dangerous countries in the world. They gave up their rights so that they could provide birthing services to the people there and also so they could share the message of Jesus with the villagers. Now, many of us have a vision to see the gospel spread Um, throughout Adelaide, and we might even know that church plants are a great way to do that. And yet, um, it's hard for us to let go of our rights. To join a church plant does mean that you've got to leave what you're familiar with. Um, It takes a long time to build the genuine bonds that we have with each other here, 
and um, we might feel a right to maintain those bonds. Our kids might have a good group of friends here, and um, we might feel that they have a right to stability in their lives. And these are all you know, good things. Uh, perhaps some of us um, have been moving from church to church over the past few years, and finally we feel settled, might feel the right just to stay put for a little bit. But these might be the rights that we're called to relinquish, to see the message of Jesus spread across Adelaide. And then again, maybe you're just up for adventure and you're already on board. Um, if that's you, and, you know, or if you've decided that you know, this is for you, then uh, have, a, have a chat with Scott. But there are other areas of life where we might consider giving up our rights. So um, take service in children's ministry, for instance. Uh, I have two kids who don't always want to go to creche. Um, one of them's just kind of lingering by the door at the moment. Um, it's easy for me to think, you know, one day when they've grown up, I'll be able to just sit back, I'll be able to listen to the message um, like everyone else. Now, is this a right? Well, maybe, um, but um, we have many people here who don't think this way. Um, I thank God for all the people who are involved in children's ministries and in creche, um, but particularly for those who haven't had kids in nappies for years and yet um, still commit time to being in the creche. Now, they've done their time with their own kids, and yet they're willing to um, give up time you know, sitting here so that they can look after my kids and other people with young children so that we can sit around the Word on a Sunday. Um, likewise, we have people whose kids are at school, and they're willing to give up a Tuesday morning so that they can help out the mothers at the playgroup and connect with people in the community, and that's great. In my own life, um, there was a couple named David and Lindsay, and they opened their home up to myself and my wife, um, for a fortnightly Bible study. They had like five kids who were quite young, um, and yet they were willing to give up their right to spend time with them to help us learn from the Bible. By the grace of God, I came to hear the gospel and to accept it, and um, you know, their willingness to give up their rights is why I'm a Christian today. Beyond giving up his rights, Paul even describes that he's willing to make himself a slave um, in order to really relate with other people. If we have a look at verses 19 and 20, we read, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. Now, at times, Paul would submit to Jewish laws and customs um, where they weren't at odds with being Christian, so that there might be an opportunity for them to learn about Jesus. Now, a Christian friend of mine um, has been a genuine friend to a young Muslim, and this has opened up great opportunities for them to talk about um, church, Christianity, and Islam. Connecting with people of other faiths requires us to do what Paul's talking about here. We need to have some sensitivity of and, underst uh, yeah, and understanding of other cultures. For example, um, in Islam, they have a festival of sacrifice to remember uh, Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his son. And as part of this, Muslims sacrifice an animal each year um, as part of their tradition. Now, my friend, understanding this, was able to share quite naturally that um, as Christians, we believe that Jesus' death was you know, the one perfect sacrifice, put an end to all the other um, sacrifices. So it was a natural opportunity to share about Jesus, you know, connecting with something that his Muslim friend was familiar with. Now, my friend's hospitality towards this young man has also included being willing to cook halal food um, when him and his wife are guests in their house. And this mutual respect has given opportunities for them to invite um, his Muslim friend and his wife along to church events and for them to respond and come along, and that's great. Paul also says, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. 
Now, to those outside of the Jewish law, Paul became like one of them. This doesn't mean that he became lawless, um, but he related with them by being able to give up his pride in the Jewish tradition that he was brought up in. Now, it can be a challenge for us to really relate and to really care about other people and those outside of the church. But if we think about it, we do have natural opportunities to relate with people in our work and social circles. Um, If you have kids in a sports team, for instance, it might be an opportunity for you to host a start or end of season barbecue, and then that gives you an opportunity to um, connect with other families. Uh, If you think back to the challenge that we had to ask people the one question they would have for God, this question helped us to relate to non-Christians by seeing things from their perspective. Um, It was interesting for me to hear the questions that people had, and uh, for many it was a great um, opportunity to then have follow-up conversations later on. Paul also says, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. Um, Now, if you remember last week's message about avoiding uh, food that's been offered to idols, you can see that Paul was particularly sympathetic um, to those Christians who had a weak faith. Those who have a weak faith might also struggle with living godly lives. And um, when we see Christians who are immature, it can be um, easy for us to be dismissive of them. We can think, they should know better, they should do better. And it's easy for us to fall into this trap. Um, But, you know, if we were really honest with ourselves, we'd see that, well, maybe we're just better at hiding our own sinful desires and actions. And really, um, deep down, we have the same sorts of struggles that they have. What the weaker Christian really needs is for someone to come alongside them um, through their struggle and to point them to Christ. Now, this might involve sympathetic and difficult conversations. Paul continues um, in verse 22 there. He says, I've become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Now, Paul's willing to put uh, put aside his self-interest in order to see people come to hear and accept the gospel. Paul explains at length the rights that he has so that, um, as an apostle so that his point could be made all the more clear. His point is that the Corinthians should uh, follow his example and put aside, amongst other things, their um, perceived right to food that's been sacrificed to idols. Now, the call to give up our rights and to become all things to all people is not an easy one. The thing that's going to keep us on track is keeping in mind the prize that awaits us, which brings us to our next point as we look at verse 24. Um, Paul says there, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Now, Paul isn't saying here, only one person's going to get saved, good luck. Um, Now, they didn't have sports teams in the ancient world, so a modern rendition might go more like, don't you know that in footy, all footy teams play but only one wins the grand final, play to win the grand final. Now, as a community, we run the race um, to win. Running for the prize requires discipline. As we see in verse 25, uh, Paul says, Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Um, as we covered in the all-ages spot, um, in Paul's time, you could win the most prestigious race and all you would get is a perishable wreath of leaves. Uh, If people are willing to put themselves on a strict diet, um, hard training for something that's perishable, how much more should we be disciplined for the sake of the gospel, which has an eternal reward? Now, training is hard work and it can also be tedious. 
If you only focus on the training, you'd probably get disheartened and give up. It's the reward that drives how hard we're willing to train. Paul certainly saw the reality of the cross, and he was willing to sacrifice all so that he could serve others. Think of how ridiculous it would be, um, again, you know, like in the kid's spot, um, to come across a runner um, who didn't train and relied on last year's performance to get across the line. If there's one thing a Christian should be doing as part of their training, it would be reading the Bible. But I know for me, it's hard work maintaining that discipline um, to stay in God's Word regularly. It's easy for me to think, oh, you know, I've read it before, I know what's in there, I can take an extended break. What will help us is keeping in mind the prize that awaits us. And for us, the prize of reading the Bible is that it's the way that God speaks to us. Um, if, like me, you need encouragement in this area, um, Psalm 119 has over 100 verses speaking of the benefits of digging into God's Word. Uh, I was encouraged by this prayer early on as a Christian. In Psalm 119, verse 18, it says, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. This is encouraging. Even the psalmist, you know, someone who was an author of you know, Bible verses, um, had to say this prayer to have their eyes opened. The wonderful things in God's word doesn't necessarily just jump out at you. So we need God's help to see them. There are, of course, also practical things uh, we can do to maintain discipline. One of the guys in my community group um, has his phone read the Bible to him during a morning walk, so he builds it into a routine. Uh, it's something that he can do you know, without even thinking about. A Bible app might also give you a verse of the day, and then that might be a springboard for you to then dig a bit deeper into the chapter where that verse comes from. Now, being disciplined might also mean that we need to dig to find answers to our own spiritual questions to strengthen our faith. Now, we don't need to know the answers to everything, but working through questions can help equip us so we can help others when they have questions and struggles. Looking forward to the prize is a good way to stay disciplined, but Paul also gives a warning. Um, in verse 27, he says, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now, you might be wondering here, you know, why is Paul talking about being disqualified for the prize? Um, it's helpful for us to remember that Paul was dealing with Corinthians who were insisting on their own right to eat food that had been offered to idols and neglecting the, um, the faith of the weaker Christian. Now, if the Corinthians acted in this way, knowing the damage they were doing, can you see how it shows a complete disregard for the value of Christ's sacrifice? Can you see how it shows them to be disqualified? Um, it's probably helpful for us to look back at chapter 1, verses 7 to 9. There it says, Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you'll be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at how the start of Paul's letter gives confidence to the believer. It is God who gives a believer strength to live the Christian life. It is God who gives us the heart and the strength to give up our rights for the sake of the gospel. Um, but the flip side is also true. If we are unwilling to live a disciplined Christian life, if we despise the prize of salvation that God gives, if we don't have a heart for other Christians and for those outside of the church, then it shows that we are disqualified. It shows that our faith and hope is in something other than Jesus. Now, Paul was very different to this, of course. He ran like a driven runner, and he wants us to do the same. 
On that walk in the Grampians, I held on to my imagined right to get to the pinnacle. I held on to it much longer than I should have. Now, there may well be actual rights that we've worked for and that we're entitled to, but maybe we're being called to give up um, those rights for the sake of the good news about Jesus spreading. It might be our time, our money, our relationships, or even our identity. Letting go of our rights isn't easy, but think of the greater prize at stake. Giving up your rights can help the gospel message, gospel message of Jesus spread in our city and beyond, and this is a prize of eternal worth. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for those who have given up their rights so that we could come to hear and learn about the message of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to be like Paul, to have a heart for others and to be willing to let go of our rights so that others can know Jesus. Give us an eternal perspective. Give us the strength to persevere and to be disciplined. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.